time for the Extra Innings Podcast, presented by the Seattle Times. Your host is Seattle Mariners beat writer Ryan Divish. This semi-weekly slash monthly slash whenever he gets around to it podcast talks about the Mariners, Major League Baseball, food, and whatever else Ryan and his guests decide to talk about. And now, here's your host, Ryan Divish. All right, we're back. Well, I'm back. Larry will be back here in a little bit as we do this uh, this podcast. It's been, I think, 13 days. We had that nice little road trip. And then we had the first few days of uh, this homestand. Larry and I wanted to try and do it on Monday, but just some other stuff we had going on, a planning meeting for the uh, Edgar Martinez special section that we're doing for the Hall of Fame. I had to cover the game on Monday. Larry had some stuff he's doing a CL pilot story this weekend. So it just didn't work out, and we had to do it today. I'm recording this Wednesday afternoon. I talked to Larry already this morning. Uh, the Mariners game is about ready to start in about an hour or so. They get that weird 340 start time. The reason they do that is uh, City of Seattle only allows the Mariners to have so many games at 110. Um, and so you have to adjust. They have these 340 games instead for getaway days for teams. And that's why they have them. So in case you were wondering that. Um, quickly, before we get to Larry, uh, just and it's mentioned in our conversation, but I wrote a piece um it came out Tuesday afternoon. Was it Tuesday afternoon? Yeah, it came out Tuesday afternoon. It was probably in today's paper. And it was basically about the trade for Edwin, or trading Edwin Encarnacion to the Yankees for one then. Oh, God, the puns. Oh, the puns. Um, and basically what it was is just kind of breaking down um, the trade and some of the rumors that were out there. Uh, you know, Mark Feinsand, a friend of mine, a guy I know really well and a very respected reporter had some sources telling him that, you know, the, that there were multiple teams interested in, in Edwin Encarnacion and that the Mariners basically went cheap, wanted to take as much money or want to spend as little amount of money as possible. You know, in other words, having, uh, whatever team took on the most money and just got back a lesser prospect. Okay, I trust Mark's sources. He knows lots of people. He knows a ton of people on the East Coast. My guess is, is that that's where his sources are from. And, you know, when that tweet came out, I had a ton of people, a ton of my sources, um, some within the Mariners, some uh, with other organizations, text me and kind of say, well, you know, I don't know if this is quite exactly what his source is saying. Here's what I've heard. And so, you know, what we've had is some conflicting sources or conflicting uh, opinions or conflicting information from different sources. And that's kind of what you find in baseball sometimes. Like a lot of times, uh, these sources, you know, when, when you give stuff to us, they do it for a reason as well. You know, there's, there's agendas and there's things they're trying to accomplish by doing it. Um, but anyway, so what I had found, at least from my sources, which are about three or four, uh, is that, there were only two teams interested in Encarnacion uh, as of now, and that was the Yankees and the Rays. Uh, the Rockies had some interest about two weeks ago, two or three weeks ago, and kind of bowed out. I think they were scared off from what I was told by the idea of Encarnacion playing first base every day, getting banged up. And they also had Daniel Murphy. So that was kind of their – they hadn't been a real player in this. Uh, the Astros, who were also mentioned, were never really a player. The Mariners tried to shop them to the Astros from the day that they acquired them this offseason. They tried to trade them there. It just wasn't happening. So it was kind of down to the Rays and Yankees. And you almost wonder if the, the Yankees got in because they heard the Rays were in on this and they didn't want the Rays to get stronger, so they went in and blocked it. Um, from what I had been told, uh, and again, this is just only the sources I have, 
the Rays and Yankees were offering essentially the same type of player, which was a, an upside pitcher, probably 18, 17, 18, 19 years old from one of the short seasons or low A teams. Uh, and then that's, that's what they were offering. And that the money obviously was different. The, the Rays were, weren't going to pay as much money. The Yankees paid about $8 million. The Rays, I think, were only willing to pay about two or three, maybe four. I'm trying to, that's kind of what my guess was on that. I kind of heard that was the speculation. Um, but, you know, and then, you know, I've got one person saying, well, the Rays prospect was better. I've got another one saying, no, not really, that they liked then better. I, I don't know. But it's prospects or prospects. You, you know, this is kind of where they're at. I don't know um, exactly, you know, who the Rays prospect was. I kind of have some ideas. But it's, you know, it's maybe somewhat better. I don't know if significantly better is the word. But it was only one player. And it was one on. And that's the thing. And, like, Larry and I discussed this is just, like, the perception of what Edwin Encarnacion's value is worth versus what it's truly worth is a lot different. You know, being the home run leader, all this stuff. No. I mean, he's owed a lot of money. He's a rental player. And a lot of times with these rental players, teams want it now. Like people will say, oh, you should have waited, see if a team got desperate. What happens if a team doesn't get desperate? Um, what if a team doesn't get desperate? Sorry, we had some technical difficulties there. And Or if the market dissipates. And then you're stuck with Edwin Encarnacion and you're paying all that money and you don't get anything in return. The Mariners are getting a 19-year-old kid. Yes, they've had him. Uh, he throws 96, 97 miles an hour at the, when he tops out. Um, but this is a guy that can help them, uh, hopefully, or hopefully for them anyways. So I don't know. It, it, you know, you can debate all you want. Uh, Larry and I get into this a little bit more, and I just will throw all this out there. They're going to try and trade D. Gordon, Mike Leake, Rowena Elias. Those are the three main guys they're going to try and trade. I mean, I don't think anybody else in their bullpen is really going to generate anything. But this is the kind of return they're going to get. Low A, short season, 18-year-old kids, projectable lottery pick tickets, basically. That's what they're going to get. D. Gordon and Leak are owed too much money, and Elias is a little too unpredictable. So uh, just kind of prepare yourself for that. But anyways, I don't want to keep going on here. Let's get into Larry, and then we'll move on. And, and uh, you know, this is something we're going to be discussing for weeks on weeks. So hopefully you enjoy uh, me and Larry's discussion. <laughs> Time to welcome in our every episode guest. Uh, I promised Adam Jude I would call you this. Let's welcome Larry Spillin' Stoney Stone to the show. You have 30 seconds to defend yourself against the nickname Spillin' Stoney. I have nothing. I, uh, Especially after last night. Yeah, but that, that was that wasn't the exception that proves the rule. I mean, it had been a long time. I guarantee you, you've spilled more in the last year than I have. But I, I, uh, I feel like no, because I remember your son tweeting to me once that you had spilled somewhere at a Red Robin or something and made sure well, that we knew about it. Every time I spill, there's like news cameras there. Every time you I, spill, it's like nobody knows. And, I'm, and I think you're holding back on a few. Phones, oh, so. I, I, I'm almost certain of it. But yes, it was. So Larry has been known to be a spiller. Uh, and now the cat's out of the bag. He once spilled on a work computer. 
um, <laughs> iced tea and then told people, I don't know what's wrong with it. <laughs> Would I eventually, you... I eventually confessed. Yeah, I, rem- I, could, I told the people, I told the computer people. I just didn't tell my friends. Yeah, no, you, you confessed <laughs> after I got a few drinks in you in Houston, and you texted Jason Jenks to complain. All right, fine. <laughs> yeah, well, we won't talk about that. What'd you Houston? do? <laughs> like, oh, what'd you do? Um, so yeah, last night at trivia when we dominated. Uh, our, Again, as yes, usual. Our, our team name was the Mitch Hanniger Testicle Festival, which, you know, we'll get to later. But, uh, yeah, Larry spilled a, a glass of water that had mostly ice. So it wasn't – but he just – the look on your face when it went down and you looked right at me and, and Bob Condota and Kevin Shockey and all the people that give you crap about that. It <laughs> I was, was hoping you weren't looking and I was going to pick it up real quick. Abject terror. I- and then I waited for you to get your camera out. And sure enough, like four of you like oh, yeah. whipped out your cameras to take a picture of it. <laughs> yeah, I was like that. What is that one movie like, why don't you take a picture? It'll last longer. And all those guys just whip out their cameras and start firing. Uh, all right. The reason we're taking this long is because it's not exactly, you know, the subject that we have to get into is not exactly an enjoyable subject, I think, for fans to listen to. But Larry, the, uh, the Mariners... Just when I thought they were going to play a little bit better coming off that road trip, they went 5-4, and four, win a couple series. They've dropped two, the first two games, to a team worse than them. What do you think? Yeah, it's pretty miserable. I mean, they'd hit the stretch where they had 13 games in a row where they alternated loss-win, loss-win, loss-win. So you know, they, they were sore. I mean, that's an improvement. That's basically 500 ball, although not quite 500 ball because there was losses on each end of that uh, string. And then they lost uh, then, then that ended last night with a second straight loss. Uh, yeah, that was, a, that was just a miserable game last night. Uh, you know, we, we, we took the night off from watching the game, but we were watching from trivia. We were watching the, the TV sets there and uh, just, uh, just a dreary kind of game. And I don't, I mean that when you lose back to back to the Royals who have, I mean, there's there's five teams with worse records than the Mariners, which is unbelievable when you think about how bad the Mariners have been, uh, and the Royals are one of them, and there's they're at 3.42, and then the the Orioles, they have a 2.88 winning percentage, and they're they're coming to town tomorrow. Uh, so if you can't beat the Royals and even look good against the Royals, you're you're you've got troubles. Yeah, it was it was pretty bad, and then. You know, we were watching it. We don't have the volume up. We have it on. You know, we're we're at a pub playing trivia, and you got the Root Sports doing the how to keep score broadcast, and the Mariners don't score. <laughs> Only the yeah. Royals. Royals kept them busy, though. Every time we looked up, there was one of our friends and colleagues on the screen with their uh, with their score sheet, and and uh, we were joking that that's what happens when you uh, really don't want to focus on the game. You start yeah. doing features on during the game on scorekeeping. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah. If that had been there, if I'd have been there, because they, they actually asked me about doing it, and if I'd have been there, they would have seen that I usually. In a game of that situation, I pretty much stopped keeping score by about, oh, I don't know, the fourth inning because it's already in doubt or it's already been decided. So then you're just basically writing. I mean, like at nine, nothing. There's no reason to keep score unless you're just anal retentive and you have to have that in your your score book or anything. 
Yeah, and the other thing is, and you know, when you're the beat writer, you you got to start writing your story in about the sixth inning, and it's hard to keep up completely with the scorekeeping. Uh, and I I keep the world's worst book anyway. I mean, it's I understand it, but nobody else would make sense of the uh, the chicken scratches that I make, uh, and so I'm I'm glad that that I wasn't there so they could look at my book. Cause I, you know, you look at some of them, they're like, they're, they're, they're calligraphy. I mean, they're, they're works of art, like Ray, Ray Ratto, the, the, uh, the columnist from San Francisco has the most amazing scorebook. I mean, he has multicolors and, and, and it's all neat. And, and I mean, he scores games that he's not even covering. He's that anal retentive, but uh, mine is the exact opposite. Yeah, I don't even, you know, you the BBWA gives us these really nice scorebooks and you can kind of go through the season. Yeah, like Bob Dutton, he used to, like, score all the games he'd miss and make sure he had all 162. I'm like, we get a sheet. I just, I barely, yeah. The only ones I think, I've kept my James Paxton one and I kept my six-pitcher no-hitter score sheets that I did. The rest yeah. of them, yeah. I kept my Felix Perfect game. Well, I would hope but, so. You know, you know, when I covered, when I was on the beat, this is hard for you uh, children to to even wrap your brain around. But before the internet age, the the standard thing for the baseball beat writer was you did uh, game by game uh, and player by player, day by days, because you couldn't look. You, you couldn't just go to baseball reference and look to see what a guy was hitting for the last eight games. You had to keep that yourself. So it was an hour after every game or the next morning where you'd get your sheets out and update from the box score the previous day. It was a real hassle. But if you if you missed three or four days in a row, you know, you, then it was really bad. So you had to do it diligently every every morning. And there's still guys who do that, even though it's on the Internet. Some of the old timers like, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if if Nightingale or Wrinklesby still did that. Yeah. No. And or Dutton. Yeah. The, but the, yeah, the 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 hand uh, crafted day by days is a relic from another era. Thank God we don't have that to do that anymore. I'm, I've gotten quite proficient at baseball reference as well. So. Yeah, it's a godsend. I think I was telling you yesterday, I used to carry on the road with me. When I went on a road trip, I would take the baseball register, the AL red book, the NL green book, and sometimes the baseball encyclopedia. You know how big that is? <laughs> yeah. Because that, that was the only way you could look stuff up. You, you couldn't just type in, uh, you know, if you wanted to see some guy's stats throughout his career or something, you just, there was no way to get that without having those books. So you had to carry them <laughs> with you. <laughs> Uh, I'm old. I'm yeah. I'm old. Hey, let's let's just get down to it. So they got five games left on this homestand. I've been told that they're not going to set the record for lowest attendance because of tickets sold. You know, you got the Luau promotion on Friday and everything else. But five games left. One against the Royals later this afternoon. We're recording this Wednesday morning. Uh, later this afternoon against the Royals, and then four against the Orioles. Of those five games, how many do they win? <laughs> uh boy the orioles are a miserable team i'm gonna say two <laughs> two out of five uh yeah uh, I, mean, I think they'll win three i think they're gonna they'll win today marco's pitching and then they'll win two out of so they'll win three out of five because the orioles are that bad they give up a ton of home runs you think the mariners give up home runs oh man orioles they yeah. give up some homers so. Yeah, you know the I, the Mariners have the have a five point four zero team ERA, and I just tweeted that that breaks down to five thirty nine for starters and five point four one as relievers. So it's it's almost they're almost equally as bad in in each. But the, there's only one team worse in baseball team ERA, and that would be your Baltimore Orioles at five 
0.68. And and here's another. <laughs> I find this really interesting. Since the 13 and two start, oh, the Mariners. Yes, the Mariners are 18 and 44, which is a 2.90 winning percentage. The Orioles' winning percentage is 2.88. So if you throw away the start, you you we would have a heck of a battle right now between the Orioles and the Mariners for being for the number one draft pick next year. Uh, you know the Mariners aren't going to get that because of that 13 and two start, and they're not probably going to be in the top five because of it but they have been the equal of the Orioles throughout the first two weeks of the season they have been equally as bad as the Baltimore Orioles who are by far the worst team in baseball and they're like trying to lose I mean like the Mariners aren't necessarily trying to win per se but you know like the Orioles are rolling out a horrible team on purpose. The Mariners put together a team that still had some legitimate big league players, and they played. So, I mean, the pitching is just—it's uh, abysmal. I mean, even it's infected. You know, the bullpen was going to be terrible, and it's been worse than expected. But you know, now their starters are starting to underperform. Kikuchi, uh, Marcos struggled at times. Wade, Le- well, I mean, Wade LeBlanc's technically a starter, but you know, Tommy Malone has been their best pitcher in the last two weeks. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you look at the, you look at the. Last- up they throw out there now with nola and williamson and you know uh tom you know uh, every fifth day tommy malone and uh you know those none of those guys were in the plan come at the beginning of the season um it's just kind of gotten away from them i mean it is a step back season and the 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 goal was not contention but i think they thought they were going to be a little more competitive that they turned out to be and and it's only going to get worse because you know they're going to mike leak has become their most reliable starter probably most consistent you know you're going to get six or seven innings from him and uh he's probably going to be gone and gordon may be gone and elias may be gone and uh so and and Hanneker and Healy don't look like they're coming back anytime soon. So, I mean, it could it could get as bad it is as it is now. It, it could get worse, and certainly, or at least, not get much better. Before we get to the trade of Edwin Encarnacion, Larry, let's talk testicles. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I wish I had a dime for some. Every time someone said that to me, I'd, I'd have a dime. So, uh, Mitch, so we talked to Mitch Hanniger yesterday. Um, I want to credit Angie Mentink with. Um, <laughs> Going similar route she did the last time we had one of these situations where just goes in, guns blazing, has no, like, um, I don't want to say feel for the situation, but she just goes in. It's like, I think just walked up. I was like, Mitch, uh, how's your groin? And then, you know, throughout the, did you wear a cup? Hanniger was not wearing a cup. So, and I know a lot of outfielders that don't. I mean, like when I was in college, all of our, none of our outfielders wore cups. And I know a lot of outfielders don't wear cups. They feel like it hinders their running. You know, the odds of them getting hit in that area are pretty slim. Hanniger said he'll be wearing a cup going forward. Larry, how many players have dealt with something like this on the Seattle Mariners? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you go back to Mike Parrott, the pitcher from the early days of the Mariners, uh, had a ruptured testicle. I think he got hit by a ball. Uh, you, you know, Jose Manzanillo, uh, Adrian Beltry famously, Mitch Hanniger, uh, Mike, Mike Cameron had an incident where he was hit by... Uh, I think a tennis ball and a, in a drill. Um, Justin and I think you smoke. Had, yeah. Justin yeah. Smoke. Justin, yeah. Justin smoke, which I hadn't remembered until you brought it up. I mean, four really serious ones where, where the guy is 
ended up on the DL and yeah. and uh, and every guy who heard the story ended up like uh, you know crawling under their desk and and into in the fetal position. But <laughs> uh, I guess you got to lead the league in it's a you got to lead the league in something. That's uh, not what you want to lead the league in. No, no, no. You don't really want to be a part of that. I mean, like that's a big thing. So Hanniger, they don't. <laughs> So we were talking to Hanniger and he's describing it and I have a stomach ache and I'm nauseous and Vogelbach's listening next there and he's just shaking his head, you know, and this and that. And then they said something like, and then I asked Mitch, you know, he's like, well, you know, I'm not supposed to do anything right now because I could get a sports hernia or a hernia because of the surgery. It's similar to like an appendix. You go in with, you have stitching and stuff like that. You have to be careful. And then I, you know, he's like, well, maybe a month or so I'm supposed to start activity. And he says, but I don't think it'll take that long. And 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 fuck shakes his ears. Of course you don't. That's why you think he goes. You always think this. And he's just kind of <laughs> chiming in at him. And that's and Scott Service said the same thing. That like Mitch, Mitch just freaks out about not being able to play, and he just thinks he he can come back sooner. And a couple of years ago, he tried to do that with an oblique injury and re and injured the other oblique doing it. So I think they're going to force him to sit out. Uh, and do that same with Braden Bishop who we saw the other day who has lost five pounds off of a frame that didn't have five pounds to lose those are two really scary injuries and really not normal injuries which kind of sums up the Mariners right now yeah it does and they're I mean they're big losses I really feel bad I mean I feel bad for both of them but Braden Bishop you know this would have been the chance for him to play every day it's really a shame just that something that fluky happened to him what it i mean he got hit by a pitch right in the yeah. stomach and that led to this uh lacerated uh, spleen lacerated spleen i mean it's not an injury you hear very much in baseball it sounds horrible and uh so he's going to be out for a while and missing this chance uh with especially with hanniger out to 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 get a sustained uh, look at the major leagues uh you know being a major leaguer so uh, it's just it's just too bad, and they just have no they have no outfield depth right now in this in the system, as witnessed by Mac Williamson playing every day with his one forty five batting average. Well, I'll give them credit too because they could have they could have very easily you know just call Russ Jake Fraley up here and try to you know capitalize on his hot start and say hey look there's a prospect, but they they've been smart they didn't rush him up here yet um, and do that you know he's certainly talented but they they want him to progress. You know, same with Evan White. You know, he's playing well at Double A right now. You could have rushed him up, started his clock, put him at first base instead of Austin Nola, and it could have been detrimental. We've seen the Mariners do that before in the past with some of these guys, Mike Zanino in particular. So maybe they're, you know, maybe they've kind of learned from past mistakes. Now this is a new regime, but you know, it's it's smart not to to put. You know, you you're building for the future, and you want these guys to get big league time, but you don't want to do it to their detriment as well. Yeah, I mean, this is the time when they're they're really going to have to sort of have the, the courage of their convictions because they're going to be here. This is I'm talking about the front office and ownership because they're going to be hearing a lot of uh, noise and a lot of criticism and whining and complaining from the fans and a lot of it valid, most of it valid. But if they if they believe in their plan, they're going to have to hold fast to it and, and withstand that and resist the urge for for a quick fix or to rush a guy like you mentioned and, and that sort of thing and stand and stand firm uh and it's and it's not going to be easy and and particularly i think you know everyone's written off this year you know next next year people are going to say okay 
what do we got now? We went through last year. We're, now let's let's win some games, and they may not be ready to win games next year, and they may have to hold steady to this philosophy again and withstand even more uh, uh, slings and arrows. You know, the worst thing Jerry DePoto did was put a timeline. You know, he kind of mentioned some timelines on this. Like, you know, they'll have those guys here in 2020, and they'll start to play better, and they could compete in 2021. I think that's bad because then people start to look at it, and you're trying to project. I think he should have said, you know, maybe by 2021 we'll have all these guys in place by the end of 2021 maybe we'll be you know showing signs that 2022 you'll be in that year where you remember with the royals where they had Mustakis and 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 hosmer and kane and dyson and all those guys just kind of starting to put it all together and you know that's where i think they should have said it but Jerry's an optimist, and I think at some point, you know, you're trying to sell this as an organization that this isn't going to be hell for four or five years. But, you know, by saying that timeline, people react to it. It's kind of similar to like what he said, you know, with Lorena Martin, where he's like, she's a unicorn, you know, all these things. I mean, and I and I, look, Jerry is optimistic and, and I like it. He, he can put complete sentences together. He's a great talker. Uh, but, you know, sometimes you, you just you have to kind of lay back and, and look at the optics of the room and say, yeah, maybe I got to dial it back a little. That's yeah. But I, I mean, the optics of saying 2022, you're also oh, yeah. telling people you're telling people we're going to suck care. for for three years. And that may be the reality. And that's what it was for the Astros with the three years of the worst record in baseball and the number one picks. But uh, it's hard to to tell your fans that. I mean, in a lot of ways, it's better to to go on the optimistic side. But you better until until it happens. It doesn't happen, and then they're even maybe more uh, upset. So there's really no good way out of this. The only good way out of it is to start showing progress and moving forward and developing players and 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 give some some uh, hope that better times are ahead. And I don't think the fans are sensing that right now. Oh, no. Uh, I mean, you've got, yes, you've got Kelnick, who's been great, and Julio Rodriguez, but they're class A or, yeah, they're, you know, they're they're not even 20 years old, either of them. So they're, they're babies. And you have your number one pitching prospect who just got demoted to double A because he was so bad at triple A. But I, I, I think he had a pretty good outing last night, right? It was okay. Yeah, it was better. Yeah. So uh, that doesn't look good. And then you have the two cornerstone guys that you kept that you touted all year as the building blocks in Marco and Haniger, who are both having uh, worse years than they did last year. I mean, even before now he's hurt, but Haniger wasn't having a, a, a standard Mitch Haniger year or what you hoped would be a standard Mitch Haniger year. And, and Marco struggled quite a bit too uh, at times this year. So, um you know it's it's hard it's it's hard to put all your faith into unproven minor leaguers but that's kind of what you have to do at this point yeah and you're not even able to really watch them you know like at the end of that astros run they had guys up you know at that point springer was up figuring it out altuve was there they had some of their younger pieces in place and you know you could kind of see the the inner workings of it um and we won't see that you know maybe by the end of next year you know, Evan White is up. I, I, I guess, like, I, I guess if, if, if something were to happen, like Evan White and Jake Fraley, and Justin Dunn go to AAA, and then they pitch really well, or they play really well for the last three months of the season, then maybe you look at them competing for a roster spot in 2020. But I, I mean, I do, I think, 
they won't be call-ups till mid-season 2020, any of those guys. Well, another reason just is to control the service time, which is, you know, you're not going to win next year, so control the service time a little bit. Yeah, and 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 you and I were talking. I mean, you could you, you can find a little light if you look for it. I mean, the 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 infield is starting to take shape. I mean, the catching looks really good with Narvaez and and Murphy. Uh, they're hitting as well as any catching combo in baseball, really. Uh, you can you can look at first base DH and see Evan White and uh, Vogel Bach, who's having a breakout year. Shed Long and and uh, um, Crawford at short and second, and 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 Seager at third. You know, you I mean that's something you could build around. And then the outfield pieces are coming. They they have lots of depth in the minor leagues, at least in outfield. You just hope that they de- keep developing. It's the pitching right now that uh, when you look at the future, it, it it's it's got to uh, you know they, they've got to develop that, and that's why they drafted all pitchers in the draft and you know, going for quantity and hopefully quality. Felix Hernandez ever going to throw another game for the Mariners? Oh, he's, boy. Going, he's undergoing, he underwent another MRI yesterday. He had more continued discomfort in the back of his shoulder. Yeah. It makes me wonder if that might be the worst article I ever wrote when I, the last <laughs> about Felix may prove the doubters wrong after, <laughs> you know, he never threw another good game after that. Uh, that oh, there's that one about Ichiro on the roster, too. I think I talk you into these things, too, a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to blame you. Okay. Uh, I think he will pitch another game for the Mariners. Yes, even if it's a symb- uh, ceremonial finale at the end of the year for you know one ovation or something, an inning or something like that. Even in a in that situation, uh, but it's beginning to look like it's gonna it's gonna be a while. The thing is, if it was a different kind of situation and they were had all these arms that they wanted to look at, but uh, that's not necessarily the case. You know, after if they get if they end up trading a couple of them, even less so. Yeah. So it's not like throwing him out there in a situation where you have doubts about how far he can go or how good he's going to be. Uh, it's not really setting anything back, and he is Felix Hernandez. So I, I think I think there's a good chance he'll pitch again. Yeah, I do too. I, I think he'll work his way back, but it's going to be a long road, and it won't be till after the All Star break. It might not be till August. Um, you know, it's it's sad in a lot of ways. You know, I. Like we, you know, there there's blame to go around for all of this, and a lot of it is on Felix. Um, but yeah, you know, we covered him at his apex, and to see it kind of be like this, and how a lot of fans have turned on him, uh, it's it's you know it's disappointing. But that's where we're at, and that's how kind of sports are these days. They'll turn on you quick, and you know, I mean, I think, and it's easy in the moment to be angry and, and forget all that he did. Um, and it's something like we're going to have another discussion, but like, I, w- I thought it would be interesting stories. It's like when going back to, you know, even 2000, 2000, when should the Mariners have done this? Like when should the Mariners have decided to rebuild and tear it all down instead of trying to piece it together? You could have argued what 2004, probably after 2008, you know, these se- segments where they were really bad and they had guys like Felix and Beltre and, you know, trade them off and get something and start over instead of trying to piece it together. But you know, that's well, certainly when it's certainly when they, when they hired DePoto at that juncture, that that was, 
you know, no one knew whether they were going to bring in a GM who, uh, replacing Zarensic, who that was their, that was going to be what they were going to do was tear it apart and start over again, which easily could have been the, mm-hmm. uh, the move. And DePoto convinced them that they didn't have to do that, that they could rebuild while still trying to win. And, and moderately succeeded, you know, came within a, a game or two of the playoffs a couple of times, but they they didn't get that playoff spot, and that made all the difference in the world. If they had snuck into a playoff spot, I think we probably wouldn't be facing a rebuild right now, but um, uh, they didn't, and so the drought continued, and the gap widened with the uh, the, the, the good teams, so you know, I I do think that it was whether or not you should have done it earlier, which you you should have. But I had no argument with them doing it now. But it was going to be painful. Everybody knew it was going to be painful. It's always painful, and the pain is being felt right now. Yeah, that's kind of what um, you know. I was like thinking about that last night on the drive back. It may be an interesting story. Is like do a breakdown of how you would have. Of um, you know rebuilt at the time like say after 2008 do you trade Felix then you know or going into DePoto's year I, I do think that like I do think that ownership when they were interviewing GM candidates wanted to know could you make it work and try and make one last run while trying to fix things and I think Jerry DePoto believed he could do that but I honestly think that he would have preferred to tear it all down and start from the beginning I think he saw that there were some flaws within the roster and wanted to kind of move forward and I think after that first year where he saw kind of how flawed Felix was and and, you know he saw the regression of Seager that maybe hey you know this this needs to go happen sooner than later uh, I don't know that you could have traded Robbie back then just because he had so much more owed on his contract I mean that was such an albatross that they were lucky to trade him now yeah, that's it's an interesting kind of scenario. What if? What if they would have done it a while ago? What if they would have moved on? What? Because you know, in two thousand eight, when you trade Felix Hernandez, he's bringing back five guys. You know, yeah, you're, you're not you're bringing back some guys when you make that trade. So. Yeah, yeah, but you know, Felix had the no trade clause too, yeah. and and at that point, I don't think he would have waived it. So yeah. you know, it might have might have been a moot a moot point as well. Um, you know, one thing <laughs> I was looking at the other day, the, the wild card standings right now, the second wild card is the Texas Rangers at 534. Yeah, it's going to be I like mean, 82 wins or 84 wins. Yeah, I mean, then then you look back and think, geez, if the Mariners instead have tearing it apart, it decided to go the other way. And no, you know, no, they're not going to catch the Astros. And everybody knew that. But could they have snuck into a wild card spot? I do think the Red Sox are going to take off. And probably, uh, I think that they'll end up with closer to 85 to 90 wins. Oh, yeah. I think, have, I think it'll be the think, Rays and the Red Sox playing. Yeah. So maybe it's a moot point. But right now, you have to wonder, like, 534, that's something the Mariners maybe could have done if they, had gone the, if they hadn't torn it apart. But I, uh, they may not have. They, you could have had another year where you ended up a game out of a, the second wild card. So I'm not second-guessing the decision to to tear it apart because I as I just said I think it was the right thing to do but but it it makes it even tougher when you look at the with the that the, the, there are so many bad teams in baseball right now that maybe it wouldn't have taken as many wins as in the last couple of years to get into the postseason Larry that was then and then <laughs> is now.
that beautiful transition. <laughs> let's let's talk about one then. Other than the fact that it just set up just a ridiculous amount of puns, and you were just ripping them off one after the other. Yeah, uh, I'm done now. Yeah, I've, I would I've, hope so I've, because it's I've, like it's lowest common it, denominator pun yeah, after a while. I, yeah, no, it was too. It's too. It's easy. too easy of a name. Like you I know. know. Yeah. It, <laughs> It looks bad. It looks wrong too when you see Ven. I was reading your story, and every time I saw the I word Ven, well, I thought maybe you had capitalized when you didn't mean to. Or, so or Microsoft, something. Microsoft Word always wants to correct it. I was getting just highly irritated. <laughs> like, what the hell is maybe, going on here? Maybe he could change his name and just do us all a favor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I don't be, know. Is it pronounced? He'll, he'll it go pronounced to Ven or Ven. What? Ven. Go, then not not then yeah i think it's then he's gonna change his name to was instead of then (laughs) one now don 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 was was. yeah Yeah. one now um (laughs) so the the edwin encarnacion trade happened on the surface when it first went down what was your reaction uh i think my reaction was besides puns yeah uh I, my first reaction was, wait, is that the same one then that they traded for Rumbelow, who uh, they just released? Yeah, three days um, earlier. That's like one thin's name came up because three days earlier they released Nick Rumbelow. Yeah. Right. That's why I, I, it's funny. I hadn't thought about one then. And then you I looked thought back about one then see, or one then? <laughs> one then then. Yeah. And I, so I looked back to see who they had traded for Rumbelow. And then I looked up then stats and they were decent uh but you know you you'd think on the surface that a guy who led the league in home runs and had the 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 track record of Encarnacion he's not a flash in the pan he's he's has as more many homers as anyone in baseball over that last you know six or seven year stretch would command more than that so, uh, but I, you know, I, that's the reality of the situation. As you wrote yesterday, uh, home runs are a dime a dozen these days. And to lead the league in homers doesn't really mean that much. There's about 20 guys that are right there with them. And uh, what do we say? How many guys are on pace for 30, like 68? Yeah. Something over 60, you know, twice as many as six years ago, seven years ago. And uh, like three times as many as, as as 25 years ago. Homer Homer's I mean the ball is flying right now for whatever reason. Probably it's juiced. Because, it's juiced. The yeah, ball the is juiced. juiced. You know the last time it was the players who were juiced. Uh, I don't think I don't think you'd have you have like 80 percent of the players juiced right now. I mean no. they don't. It's the the eye test. Back in the steroids area, you looked at guys and they looked freakish. Now, that's not the case now. They're normal looking. Uh, I'm sure some guys are juicing because no one will ever stop it. But it, it, I'm pretty sure that it's mainly the ball at this point. Uh, so uh, it just wasn't as good a deal as you'd think you could get for for an Edwin Encarnacion. And, uh, and I've you know, you wrote about the the the, the Feinstein uh, tweet that the Mariners had a better offer but turned it down to get more money taken off the books, and I think you kind of debunked that. But uh, what do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, I believe Mark's sources. I don't think Mark's sources. Obviously, they're not with the Mariners. Um, I, my guess is they're from probably either an agent or with someone with the Yankees. Because I mean, Yankees leak 
New York just leaks everything. We've talked about it before, but the New York, the and I'm pretty certain it was Jeff Wilpon leaking the Mets stuff to the writers because he wanted to be the he likes the writers. But you know when they leaked all that Mets stuff, it basically cost the Mariners Jeff McNeil. The Mariners would have gotten Jeff McNeil, who is a good player. He's, he's hitting around three thirty. Right? Yeah, Can he's a really oh, good player. So they were going to get Jeff McNeil, Jared Kelenic. Justin Dunn, Harrison Bautista, they were going to get six players in that deal. They were going to pay $5 million more. They're going to pay $25 million instead of $20 million. But they were going to get Jeff McNeil. And because Wilpon or whoever it was from the Mets leaked all this information to the writers and it went out on Twitter and the blowback over the weekend from fans freaking out, Brody, Wag- Brody Van Wagenen came back and told the mayor's like, look, we can't include McNeil. We'll, we'll, we'll lessen the money cost. And we'll do that. So uh, that, which is crazy. I mean, that would have been a that would have been a steal of a trade if you get McNeil with with uh, Kellen yeah, and Dunn. It already is going to go down as I think Jerry's bet finest moment because yeah. of not only getting Kelnick, you know, who looks like the first guy they've had with the potential to be a superstar in a long time, but. Getting Cano off the books and Diaz and, and, is struggling. And just the nick of, nick of time, yeah. And Diaz is a, as great as he was last year. He's a short reliever, and they're fickle. And uh, so, uh, I mean, I think in five years that may really look good. Uh, but um, yeah, yeah I, for, I forgot where we were. No, we're just talking about Encarnacion. Uh, yeah. So yeah, no, I believe Mark's sourcing. I, be, I believe that Mark's sources told him this. You know, I talked with multiple sources, um, some in this organization, some in other organizations. And, and I was told like that it was only the Rays or the Yankees that, that, that had offers that the Mariners, I know the Mariners had tried to, to push Encarnacion to Houston right away, right after Nelson Cruz signed. Cause that was kind of the plan. Once Nelson Cruz signed, they were going to try and push Encarnacion to whoever got, didn't get, um, Cruz, but, the thinking was, especially the Twins would have taken Encarnacion, but they got Cruz. The Astros and the Rays just wanted Cruz; they didn't want anybody else. And that you know, they they made the Mariners made a trade with the Rays to get that that draft pick and that money, that three way trade. Um, and they didn't want Encarnacion. And talking to some people, some scouts, or some not some scouts, but some sources with with the Rays, they just weren't interested in Encarnacion as a player. The price tag was too high. Um, at the time, the price tag was too high, and they weren't certain what the thirty, you know, thirty-five-year-old guy could do. He doesn't. He's got no positional versatility per se. I mean, he can play first base at an adequate level, but we've seen that he gets injured or he gets dinged up if he has to play there more. And that's what scared the Rockies off. Is that you know, watching Encarnacion play every day, they realized they couldn't use him. And also, I think you get Daniel Murphy back, who's a good hitter. And he's not really a very good second baseman, so you lose defense by. I mean, if the if the Rockies traded for Encarnacion, your right side of the field would be Encarnacion and Daniel Murphy. Now, while they hit, that's a defensive liability, and you don't want to be giving away outs in Coors Field either. So I, it was down to the Rays and the Yankees, and then then it comes to whether the prospect the Rays was offering was better at more money eaten, or if you know whatever. I I I've had differing opinions on this. A lot of people. You know, either way, it was it was a. It's all the same prospect in the sense that it's a it's an eighteen or nineteen year old kid in the A or short season that's projectable. They're they're no getting a, a top ten pro or top five prospect from a team. It's just not. No, and 
it's totally subjective to you know to for someone to say oh the Mariners could have gotten a better prospect with an 18 19 year old kid who knows you really don't know I mean they can go a lot of different directions so uh you know at that point I think you want to get a high upside guy who you may hit the jackpot with I don't know how high an upside then has uh you know I've heard differing uh differing uh evaluations but uh Guys take off. It does happen. I mean, he does throw in the mid nineties, so you know maybe maybe they'll hit the, the jackpot with him. But it, well, we won't find out for, for for a number of years. What it does do is it doesn't bode well for the rest of the trades that the Mariners are trying to make. I mean, they've traded Jay Bruce and Edwin Encarnacion, both of whom are veteran proven guys. Uh, you know, Bruce took off when he when he with Philadelphia Player of the Week and all that. Uh, and they hardly got anything for him. So you know, the, the guys that they're going to trade, the, try to trade the you know D Gordons and uh, um, uh, Leak and whatever whoever else uh, you know Healy if he's if he's healthy, uh, they're they're just not gonna you're just not gonna get the blue chip prospects that that. Uh, you'd want to you know, continue to, to jumpstart the, the rebuild. It's just, it's just not going to happen. You think that the Mariners' ownership got a little weary after the Jay Bruce deal where they basically only got saved $3 million and got nothing in return? Probably. I mean, uh, it's, it's got to be frustrating to be spending, you know, whatever it is, $140 million for a team that stinks. <laughs> Yeah. So, 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 you know, I, I, I got a lot of blowback and I'm sure you did too, about all they care about is money and everything. But, uh, here's what I say. And you kind of alluded to this too. It's, uh, shouldn't have any problem with them saving money in a year where you're destined to lose a hundred games. Anyway, what you should have a problem with is if that money is not reinvested into good players. I mean, that's the benefit of cutting your payroll and stockpiling millions is that you go out at some point and hit the market and be aggressive and, and uh, try and hasten this thing along or put the finishing touches on it. The question is, when do you do it? Do you do it this off season? Do you do it the next off season? Uh, a lot depends on who's out there. Um, the problem is Mariners have a couple of problems. One is it's hard to attract people to come to Seattle for a variety of reasons. One of which at this point is that they're not a very good team and a good free agent's not going to want to come to a team coming off 95 losses with all the other stuff, the isolation and the travel and everything. So they're going to have to overpay probably, which they've done in the past with Sexton and Beltre and Cano, uh, mainly. Um, and uh, number two is that the really good free agents are being locked up more and more now. The Arenados, the Trouts, the um, uh, Goldschmidts. Well, even like and, even the young guys like Acuna and Albies or anybody that's projecting to be like Max Kepler, I think projects to be would have projected to be a free agent in two years or three years. He's locked up. You know, I'm sure the Twins will lock up Jorge Polanco as well. You know, they're they're doing teams are doing that more and more. So there's going to be less players in that window than you had before. And players are looking out at, uh, you know, Dallas Keuchel and Kimbrel and seeing that free agency ain't what it used to be. So you know, grab it from your team while you can. So 
the put that all together and uh, you know there's going to be there's going to be uh, sporadic superstars you're going to have your machados and your harpers out on the market and i think uh the next guy who may be out there that's going to have a feeding frenzy is francisco lindor uh you know he'd look pretty good in, in uh, seattle oh, even even have we've they could have had him. <laughs> they could have. They could have. And, you know, they do have Crawford at shortstop, but Lindor's a superstar. Um, so, you know, there'll be guys coming out, but uh, do you think they're going to spend big this offseason? Or, or I, I honestly haven't looked at the free agent market. But, you know, the one thing is, too, is, like, if there's a team that's got a decent free agent that's probably looking to dump salary or whatever, then you can take on that deal as well. It's not always just the free agent market. But I haven't looked specifically at any of those guys. You know, if there was somebody, you know, somebody, I think, you know, if, if Kansas City just finally decided, look, we can't carry Whit Merrifield anymore, you know, but we don't, you know, we need somebody to pick up all the money, then you can do that. Because I think he signed a little mini extension or, or somebody like that. You can do things like that as well. Um, but yeah, it's it's weird they have to reinvest the money and, and another thing is like you like i wrote you know they're, they're basically saving like 130 million dollar projected payroll it's not like they're getting a lump sum of all this this is money down the road that it, that isn't being spent and like they're really not you know they're they're but they're sitting at, i think about 140 million dollars payroll right now i mean that's not like they're making a profit off of this i mean they're they're losing money on on at the gate on concessions on all the stuff on their game experience and they're still paying out 140 million so you know and next year they're projected already at 88 million in, in guaranteed committed salaries now that could change if they they you know you get d gordon and, and mike leak off the books and you get a little salary relief but yeah it's it's the money stuff people it's just it's like it's meme it's a meme that sits there and says all they care about is making money they don't care about winning well you don't sign Robinson Cano to a ton of $40 million contract if you don't care about winning or give Nelson Cruz the extra year that nobody else was willing to give. I mean, you're you're doing things to try and win. I've always said before, they care about winning. I just don't know that they had the right people in place from ownership down to their executives to know how to do it properly. Maybe no, that's I mean, changed I... with Jerry DePoto and John Stanton. I don't know. We haven't seen complete buy-in that says, oh, yeah, this is going to work. But I, I always get tighter of that kind of fan trope that they always throw out there yeah i mean look at the the, the payroll see yeah i've written that many many times that they it's not the the lack of payroll it's the way the payroll was was spent and uh i mean the the way this plan is drawn up is that you know the the young players develop you cut you've cut the the pricey veterans and at the point when all these these uh, prospects start to blossom you, you you have the payroll flexibility to sprinkle in two or three established star players veteran players to finish the roster and voila you're ready to go out and compete you know there's there's about 10 teams that are trying to do the same thing over the last couple of years it, that's the part that that I wonder about, it's not going to work for everybody because there's not enough wins to go around. You've got the 10 rebuilding teams who are hoping to come out the other end uh, with the, and the 10, uh, you know, high spending teams that, that spend all along or did this earlier, like the Cubs and the, the Astros and are still good. Uh, you know, unless, unless every team finishes around 500, 
uh, there's still going to be you know winners and losers so there's going to be some disillusioned teams who go through this painful process and still don't come out the other side. I mean, a lot of things have to work. Look at the Royals. Those guys all had to hit and it, like it all had to be come together and you had to get the right pieces to supplement it. You know, whether it was, you know, adding Zobrist at the last minute or, you know, these things you have to, it all has to be in place and they all have to kind of work right for it to happen. And and what's amazing is, is and it's going to happen to the Mariners too, but they have a lot more money, but it's like yeah. a comet. It's like three seasons and then it could all disappear again. Yeah, I mean, here they are. This is three years after the winning the World Series. They're headed to their second straight, yeah, or, or maybe four years. Four years their second that. second straight 100 loss season. But I think that's because of their marketplace and, oh, yeah. and everything else. I mean, usually it all works. Once you win, you start to draw, you generate more revenue, and then you're in a position to raise the payroll, and you you change the cycle, and and you go from uh, scraping by to suddenly being a you know a have instead of a have not uh it's 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 cyclical and it builds upon itself uh but with a team like the royals when it starts to go south it goes south in a hurry i mean the mariners have always you know since they moved into safeco field they used to be in that category since they moved into safeco field they've kind of been a have and uh you know they're in danger of of maybe losing that now. If they, you know, at, you, you wonder what attendance is going to be next year. The season ticket base. You know, this year they sold season tickets before I think fans really understood oh, yes. the, the step back. So you know you're you're looking at a at a maybe a precipitous drop next year, and that's when you know that's when things start to get grim. Larry, do you like the opener or do you hate the opener? <laughs> I like the opener, uh, you know why? Because it makes fans crazy, and then yeah. then they go read our stories on the opener, and that makes me happy. Uh, I don't particularly love the opener, to be honest. I think it's maybe trying to outsmart yourself. You know, I was just, uh, but before we got on here, I was reading a little bit about the Rays, and they started this thing because they had a bunch of injuries they and young didn't guys. Have a, and young guys, they didn't have enough established started pitchers, so they came up with the idea, well, uh, since we don't have starting pitchers, why don't we start some bullpen guys, take the pressure off the young pitchers, we can we can spot them, you know, take them, uh, our veteran relievers, or uh, our good relievers could start the game and face their best hitters, get it, get us off to a good start, then we... The, we change the look uh, for the opposing hitters. The, you know, they can't get a bead on the pitcher because we keep changing the pitcher. And then the the next guy goes more, more innings, as many, many innings as we think is they're still successful. And then we then we match up the rest of the game. And their winning percentage, the Rays last year with the opener, when once they started doing the opener, and they did it around like sixty times, it shot up. It worked well for them. But if you don't have the right personnel then uh, you know what to me what's the advantage of a guy like uh uh leblanc a veteran uh what, what's wrong with him starting a game you don't need to be cute when he's when he's out there or or, I mean, or a I, malone i guess the Just, idea is that like look they, they have a hard time getting through the lineup three times 
So, but it's easier to get through the bottom of the lineup three times than it is the top of the lineup. So by starting him an inning later, presumably you've lessened the chances that the top of the lineup comes up a third time while your starter, your bulk guy, your Costco guy, or what do you <laughs> want to call it is in there. But it's one thing to do it when you have Ryan Stanek or Sergio Romo or guys that are established out getters. They're trying out guys that have like zero or minimal major league experience to do this stuff other than Corey Gearin who hasn't been good in any situation you put him in. So why is he suddenly going to be good? I mean, look, this is the thing. They're going to give up the, – the bullpen is going to give up runs whatever inning you put them in. You know, like if you look at it, the only reliever you would actually trust right now is Roanis Elias, and he's only good in a safe situation because for whatever reason, he can't pitch in just a middle innings thing. He doesn't have the adrenaline or the juice or whatever. But, yeah, I, I, I get the philosophy behind it. I understand the philosophy behind it. You're trying to limit the the you're trying to function on the middle innings guys not being very good. And presumably if you give up two two runs in an inning um in the first inning, it's easier to come back from that than if you're you're six you're four four going into the sixth or seventh, you bring a guy in and he gives up two runs there. You have less chances to come back from a mistake. It's like limiting the damage. But they don't have the personnel to do it. You know, like I thought that Austin Adams guy would be okay doing it, and he was good for one. But, you know, with Brandon Brennan hurt and Connor Zadzik, they can't use him there. And so I it, it's pissing off the starters, and I think you should just scrap it until you actually have some guys in place. Get some guys healthy. Get Strickland healthy. Get Brennan healthy. Then maybe try it a little bit. But until then, all it does is just irritate the hell out of fans, which is, like I said, I find it amusing on some level because it's just like, you know, of all the things to get mad about. Um, But, you know, it's just another thing that's kind of going this. I don't love it. I don't hate it. I understand all the reasons teams do it. I just don't think the Mariners maybe have the personnel to make it work properly. No, I agree with you 100%. You know, yeah, they're going to give up runs later. They're going to give up runs early. But when you're behind three to nothing in the first inning, it's been the case a few times. I think that's demoralizing to maybe to the team, but certainly to fans. Well, and it, and, yeah, go ahead. No, I was just saying, well, it's demoralizing the team because I don't think players believe in it either. No, and I don't think even the Rays believed in it, at the players at first. And uh, I think they came around to it because it, it worked for them. But uh, I think it's just another way for players to think to fume that analytics has taken over the game and this a bunch of nerds are telling, you know, ruining the game and, and that sort of thing, uh, which they're already thinking because of free agency and, and the analytics that show that, you know, players, when the players decline and it's costing them money. And uh, uh, I think it's real easy to, to just, just to take that viewpoint that analytics are ruining the game when a lot of ways, and, you know, analytics are improving the game, but, uh, and this is one where it's not as easy to wrap your brain around it, I don't think. And uh, um, what do you think about Elias as a as, a, as an opener? I mean, he has starting experience. And, well, he's your closer you know, that, now. <laughs> well, what's he? I mean, what's he closing? He's not closing I, no, that's very true. much. But I think if you're trying to shop Elias, having him as a late, and I think I know they're trying to shop Elias. If you have him as a late inning leverage guy, that might that yeah. helps his value a little bit. So. I don't know. I, maybe if he's a great opener, you know. Yeah, teams, I, yeah I mean, like they could they could 
market him as a as a, as an opener. So many teams are, are trying. I was, I was telling somebody he could be. You remember how good Mike Montgomery was for the Cubs a couple of years ago, and just that versatile role. That's what Rowanus Elias could be. He could be like that kind of swing guy, and and that's where his value is. Versatility. National League teams love that versatility. Um, yeah, I, I mean, look, it, they don't have the the players to do it. I don't think it's necessarily Scott Service's idea to do it. I think he has to sell it. I I don't think he hates it. I don't think he doesn't believe in it but i also think he realizes how it affects his players and i don't know that he necessarily wants to do it but we all have bosses and if they tell you let's try this to see if we can make it work then you do it so um i don't know i i get tired of the the argument it's funny but let's get to something more positive larry sell us your book before we close <laughs> this out <laughs> well uh, edgar an autobiography uh available in bookstores everywhere on amazon uh you know, people it, people seem to really like it uh, we've had two signings at one at uh, elliott bay books and one at barnes and noble in bellevue and there were like hundreds of people it's like in, incredible the turnout uh, lines you know wrapping around you know the store or, or down the street in the case of elliott bay when they opened the 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 box office there uh so if you want to learn uh, what makes what made Edgar Martinez such a great player and learn some insight into his life and as he goes into the Hall of Fame in, in one month, we'll be there. Uh, buy this book. Yeah, go buy this book. Edgar's lots, got lots of money, but Larry needs some new shoes. All right, let's get, let's get some money in Larry's pocket. And no, it's it's a good book. I got, you know, I'm, I'm excited to give a book to my dad. So um, great, great gift for people that are Mariners fans. Edgar is one of the, the best dudes you'll ever come around. He was there the other day. He's like, hey, Ryan. And I was like, I always like it how he says my name. <laughs> so, uh, no, that's good. It's good. Um, I'm, I'm happy for that. And uh, are you working on anything Mariners related, Larry, this week? I am working on something Pilots related. Okay. I'm, uh, yeah, for Sunday, I'm doing a big old uh, takeout on the uh, 50th anniversary of our Seattle Pilots, uh, one and done, 1969. Now, it, it, it's nice. funny that the, uh, the, the, the Mariners are honoring them on Sunday, I believe, and then they fly to Milwaukee to play the Seattle Pilots, yes. now known as the Milwaukee Brewers in, in their next series. So uh, a lot of good stuff from – it's amazing how many people are still around who are associated with the pilots, either as players or uh, executives. I talked to Bill Shonley, the 90-year-old play-by-play man uh, for the pilots who then – Oh, you guys became, went to high school together, didn't you? Eh, shut up. <laughs> uh, who went on – and when, the, when they folded, he went to Portland and was the voice of the Trailblazers, and he's in the NBA Broadcasters Hall of Fame. So, uh, and he's still very uh, sharp at age 90, and he had some good stories. All right, man. Well, that's good. It was a good, good. We haven't done it in a while. I had that long ass road trip. So, it was not, we're, we're good to go. We'll do this again when? Next week, maybe, or so? Sure. Well, yeah. we'll do an, another updated uh, thing on the opener and see how it goes. We need to probably delve <laughs> into this a little bit more. Yeah, we'll see if they have an opener again. <laughs> yeah. All right. <laughs> After. Man. All right. Take yeah, it easy. See you later. Bye-bye. This has been the Extra Innings Podcast presented by the Seattle Times with your host, Ryan Divish. Thanks to the Midnight Salvage Company for providing the beds and bumper music for the podcast.
Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Stitcher. You can reach Ryan via email, rdivish at seattletimes.com. Follow Ryan on Twitter at Ryan Divish or on Facebook, facebook.com slash Ryan Divish. Thanks for listening.